0: Welcome to AQR's The Curious Investor. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Fagali. On this show, we break down some of the most important ideas in finance to help us make better investment decisions. And today
1: we're exploring one of the most epic battles in investing, active versus passive. Do you stick with the index or do you try to beat it? For listeners who are new to this debate, the gist is active managers try to beat the market and passive ones try to match the market. And you might think, well, obviously I want to beat the market. The challenge though is to do that, you have to be able to identify today a manager who will outperform in the future. And don't forget, they need to outperform after charging any fees. And this question of active versus passive isn't a small one.
0: Trillions of dollars are betting on either side. So to tackle this, we're going to be talking to two titans of the industry that represent opposing sides
1: of this highly contested debate. Our first guest is the father of passive investing, Jack Bogle. Jack founded the Vanguard Group in 1974 and has been preaching the gospel of passive ever since. In fact, when we spoke with him, he was working on his 12th book. We also brought along our boss, Cliff Asnes.
0: Cliff is the co-founder and CIO of AQR. Like Jack, Cliff is very outspoken and publishes a lot on investing. But unlike Jack, he's an active investor and tries to beat the market. Okay, to
1: set the stage, we met with Cliff and Jack at Vanguard's offices outside of Philadelphia. The four of us were huddled around a small table, and as you'll hear, things got
2: pretty contentious right off the bat. I'm Cliff Asnes, uh, founding and managing principal at AQR Capital Management, and I'm lucky to be here with my investing hero, Jack Bogle. Okay, and and Jack, would you mind introducing yourself?
3: Uh, I'm Jack Bogle. I'm the founder of Vanguard, and uh, I'm happy to be here with my hero, Cliff Asnes. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell this is going to be a pretty combative interview.
1: (laughs) We'll have to pull you guys back from each other. Well, I mean, so it sounds like you two are good friends. We are. is, Is that surprising to people?
3: Well, investment management uh, makes strange bedfellows.
2: Yeah, I, I would say this. If it would surprise people at all, it might be because they mistakenly think our views on investing are further apart. Well, let me just add to that, uh, maybe a little different
3: perspective. Uh, we do things very differently from an investment standpoint, to which I would say, so what? Uh, you know, there is not one way in this world. Uh, well, maybe not. But um, what I've always admired about Cliff is his intellectual soundness. He doesn't just throw things around, ideas that are dreams out there. He backs them up with statistics, very sound thinking, uh, very intellectual in a lot of ways. And uh, I've always admired that in anybody. And it doesn't matter whether their intellectual ideas align with my own or not.
2: What has made Jack my investing hero, uh, I'll make it more general, Uh, one of my major heroes – is not building a, a, what is it, a $5 trillion company? Five trillion. No, that's trillion, folks. Um, it's, it's that he did something that was so counterintuitive to so many that people scoffed at early on, and he was both determined
1: and right. The concept of getting passive exposure to the stock market was novel and controversial when Jack founded Vanguard in the 1970s. And even though Jack's approach
0: is pretty ubiquitous today, the merits of active versus passive are still hotly
2: debated. Cliff thinks one reason is that investors just can't agree on definitions. The world needs to get more clarification on even the terms passive and active. To me, I always push passive means market cap weighted even there you can enter in some arguments how broad do you can you be to, to get the full market but you mostly you're pretty close to to agreement if if that's the definition but passive in the world sometimes means rule based which i think it doesn't it's not the same thing at all it sometimes means low turnover which is really confusing because most passive indexes actually do have very low turnover but low turnover itself doesn't make you passive warren buffett preferred holding period of forever uh, I don't think anyone would call Warren Buffett a passive investor. Uh, passive versus active to me is just how much you differ from cap weighting. And he differs massively from cap weighting. I understand it's worked out for him. So let's say we agree on what active means and what passive means. Now
1: we need to understand what drives some investors to choose one over the other.
2: A lot of people assume that a uh, belief that markets are perfect is what leads to to index funds. But that is actually not the reason. Uh, and I'll let Jack uh, tell the story a little bit more, but, uh, but I, I've read him uh, telling us that he had not heard of the idea of efficient markets when he thought of indexing.
3: That's correct. And when these Nobel laureates got their prizes a few years back and they said they were the genesis of the index fund, I had never heard of them. Uh, I, they were totally unknown to me, the efficient market hypothesis, EMH so-called, Uh, I'd never heard of that, and uh, I was just a pragmatic indexer, uh, basically coming from someone who was both a theoretician and a pragmatist, and that would be the great Dr. Paul Samuelson. And he had an article in the um, Journal of Portfolio Management, October of 1974, where he demanded somebody would start an index fund. It was called Challenge to Judgment. And he was saying, where is the brute evidence that managers can win? And there was none. And so I thought, you know, if Paul Samuelson needs somebody to start an index fund, I'm his man. And that's the genesis of the fund or the precipitating genesis.
2: I love the fact that the the condition that would lead to indexing is so much weaker than needing an efficient market. What Jack calls a humble arithmetic, charging more can't beat an average of the same thing, charging less is all you really need. Now, if you take it further, if you don't think markets are perfectly efficient, and while I... I'm probably more respectful of of market efficiency than most active managers. Perfect is a high standard. I don't think they're perfect. That's not enough to say be an active manager. You have to say why you are going to be on the right side. You're going to be the winner. You realize the direction the inefficiency goes and you're going to, by some form of trading, by tilting away from the index, uh, you're going to make more and someone else is going to make less. Jack, I was reading um, stuff you've written on the history of of Vanguard, and I think you you can correct me. I, I'm only going to ballpark the numbers. You had hoped to raise two or 250 million dollars, and I think you raised 12 million. 11.3. <laughs> you actually 11.316. I,
3: <laughs> I, I know. I know the emotions
2: there. Numbers like that 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 weren't fun. Stick in my head forever yeah. too. But that says a lot about the uphill battle you had to fight for a while.
3: Well, yeah, we couldn't even buy all 500 stocks in the S&P 500 in round lots. So we did some sampling, it worked out fine. So it was off to a small start and actually, the underwriter said, "You know, we've got a failure on our hands, why don't we just give everybody their money back? And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we have the world's first index fund, let's see what happens. And it took decades for it to flourish. It started in 1975, was underwritten in 1976, and it was 1991 or two before that curve of index fund growth uh, goes off the charts they had to have a lot of patience and a lot of those years 20 some years uh, was occupied by trying to make sure we would survive until the index fund caught on passive has grown a lot since then some
0: investors think passive could actually get much bigger and others say we're already pretty close to the limit
2: let's start with what things look like today we're all guessing at this but i think uh Indexing is probably uh, 40% of the mutual fund assets, probably, we would guess about 20% of total assets because mutual funds aren't everything. Off the top of my head, I, I think it could get 60, 70, even, even slightly higher as a percent. And we still have enough active management out there to set prices and to, to figure out what the right prices should be. Uh, it's funny. Um, index funds are, to some extent, free riders. Somebody out there sets prices accurately. And we all benefit from that by not having to figure out uh, and be active managers ourselves and study every stock ourselves. Uh, but I think uh, no one's ever made a convincing argument why we need, uh, you know, what used to be pretty much 100% and is now still between 60 to 80% of the market, all trying to beat the other 60 to 80%. I think the amount in indexing could be much larger, uh, but I admit no one has kind of a beautiful closed form numerical solution for, for where this will end up.
3: Let me add this rather different thought, and that is, I was going to say, Cliff, what's all this about prices? Uh, Prices don't matter in the long run. It's intrinsic value that matters in the long run. And if you look at the stock market return over history, prices revert to the mean of intrinsic value, which I will define as dividend yield and earnings growth. But the market can go way, way above the intrinsic value. Uh, and uh, it can go way below that. But the differences are not large. But there's a definite reversion of the mean of market prices going to intrinsic value. So if you buy stocks not for prices, I don't want to ruin your business. That's okay. uh, (laughs) uh, If you buy stock not for prices, but for values, uh, and you have to look at price. I'm not saying that, but I am saying don't give it any more weight than it deserves because it's ephemeral. It gives you this past performance kind of all based on price over a certain given period. And so we we really have to get investors thinking about, uh, don't look at the stock market so much, or Bogle rule number one, or is it number three for investors? You get to decide. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't peak. And that's P-E-E-K.
2: Yeah. Well, first... Uh, you're, you're certainly not going to ruin our business because if you say anything that would ruin our business, we're just going to cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that we don't cut this comment of mine. This it's can't a, be cut. No, this is – <laughs> that, that should be uncuttable. Uh, but I don't think we're saying something so different. Um, I, I think uh, we're big believers in mean reversion. Uh, a value strategy is very akin to a mean reversion strategy. They're almost used synonymously. I don't think markets are perfectly efficient. So when price varies from intrinsic value, I, I think money can be made somewhat by by taking advantage of that. And, by the and buyers, it, but not by, by the uh, sellers. Yes, it can't make the whole add up to more than the whole still <laughs> to, to somebody. So, uh, you know, certainly my beliefs in my wallet are on the side of, of, of mean reversion existing. It seems like Cliff and Jack both believe that stock market prices aren't always
1: right. But the crux of the debate is what you should do about it. Active tries to capture those mispricings. Passive says you can't do it efficiently. Another
0: topic of debate is about corporate governance, where critics knock passive investors in particular. The idea here is that they indiscriminately own every stock. So maybe there's no real judgment when deciding how to vote and act as a responsible shareholder. Passive investors are just along for the ride. Well, Jack has a bone to pick here.
3: Well, let me say this. Uh, I have always thought that the ultimate answer to the governance question was the index fund, because the index fund is the only true long-term investor. Other investors are buying and selling all the time. Why should they have a big vote in governance? Today, we're doing probably the best job of any mutual fund manager, index or not, in our interest in governance and how we vote proxies. We have a lot of communication. With investors. And while the votes are still very heavily uh, turned toward votes to endorse what management recommends, I think that's just the world we live in. It's not not a terrible thing to do, but not a right thing to do all the time.
2: Let let me step back and and talk about one academic argument that's kind of anti-index fund that has gotten more prominent. We've been maybe implicitly talking about it, but let me describe it. Index funds own everything. Jack Bogle-esque index funds, the real kind. Owners drive management decisions, and if managers of companies, individual companies, know they're owned by people who own their entire industry, they will act to maximize the industry value, not the individual company value. For one thing, and there are various ways to think about it, it doesn't pass the smell test even even slightly. These managers of individual companies who already have a big agency problem, Uh, if anything, the much bigger worry is is them maximizing their own income, which is much more related to their own company, are suddenly implicitly acting to maximize the industry. It's just very hard to believe. I I do think to kill the index fund, the, the single largest improvement in investor welfare ever, to get at a, at worst, illusory, at best, minor problem is just is just madness.
1: Another criticism of passive investors is that they distort market prices because they're buying all stocks. They're pushing up all prices, and that can throw stock prices out of whack.
2: Well, I'll I'll start out. Um, first of all, they don't distort prices. Passive is cap weighted. Cap weighted buys or sells everything proportional to its current size. It has the the similar, you know, it doesn't have to be literally the same at every point in time, but a similar effect on all stocks. If you're buying 1% of every company, that strikes me as an entirely non-distortive act. If you're buying 10% of a single company and selling 10% of another company, that is moving prices around.
3: Well, you tell me about this distortion that's occurring. How is that happening? What do we know? We know that index funds account for about 5% of all trading in the U.S., So give them all the blame for distortion and let the 95% go free. I mean, it really makes no sense at all. You know, blame the guys that are doing it and not poor old Bogle. (laughs) Jack and Cliff have some pretty
0: strong opinions on investing, and they've ruffled some feathers over the years. There's actually an old anti-index poster hung defiantly in Jack's office that says, help stamp out index funds. We asked Jack if he ever lost faith in the face of all that criticism.
3: Well, let me me give you, I think, a relevant story. It's about Harry Truman. And he's doing the whistle stop and going like this and that. And the audience is all yelling, give him hell, Harry, which is kind of in this metaphor, give him an index fund, Jack. And Harry responded by saying, I'm not giving them hell. I'm just telling them the truth, and they think it's hell.
1: (laughs) Jack isn't alone in seeming to take pleasure in getting a rise out of his critics.
2: We've both been provocative. I think... uh, Jack has been provocative solely in the service of the truth. I think I'm 80% that, which is good, and 20% I just enjoy being provocative. <laughs> um, there, there is a, a slightly less noble uh, a reason behind, at least a little part of mine. Uh, you know, I wrote uh, do hedge funds hedge. Basically, it was that so-called hedge funds are, are much more exposed to market risk. Uh, they're supposed to, you know, hedge. To use a apropos word. Uh, And provide return uh, that's not related to the market. In reality, they're, you know, between 0.7 and 0.9 correlated over different periods uh, with the market. And that makes them much less valuable. Because if what they really are, if they really provided an independent source of return you couldn't get anywhere else, the math says, yeah, you should add them to Jack Bogle's fund. And that would be worth a lot. Um, If they're mostly providing Jack Bogle's return at 2 and 20 instead of four basis points, it's not such a good deal. Uh, and we wrote this uh, as believers in some active strategies, but we've got to be honest about the whole industry. And I got yelled at by everyone. I have to add quickly before we leave provocative. I'm not 0% provocative. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. That was, all right, <laughs> so saints, was- people I call 100% you-
3: 100% provocative. P- people who
2: call you Saint Jack, maybe exaggerating a, a, just a tad? Just a tad. Okay, Gabe, going into this,
1: I thought they were going to disagree way more than they actually did. I mean, they come from very different companies. They have completely different objectives. But that wasn't the case. To me, it was
0: extreme at times to what extent they were agreeing with one another. And and I'm sitting there like, wow, you guys have such different businesses and views. And I kind of wanted to shake them and be like, guys, you should probably be disagreeing a little more, right? Yeah, they made an effort to try to come together where Cliff genuinely seemed to believe that it's extremely hard to pick a good manager. And Jack acknowledged, yeah, prices do matter, but don't give them more credit than they deserve.
1: Both of these guys would consider themselves to have some sort of value orientation, but only one of them tries to take advantage of things when they when they seem mispriced. And the other says, well, it's all gonna wash out in the end, so why try? Right, exactly. Like, they're on opposite sides, but they semi-acknowledge why the other is
0: extremely plausible.
1: One other thing that was interesting to me was both of these guys, they've spent a lot of time looking at the exact same data, even though their strategies couldn't be farther apart in terms of objective. They both understand why the other person is doing what he's doing. Both their ideas are grounded in
0: logic, and that's why they have respect for one another. So whatever they say comes from data, and they've really thought about it before just going out and talking about it. And I think that's what this podcast is about. Our our hope is there's a really good dialogue because there's not necessarily one perfect way to be a good investor.
1: For folks who want to read more about the topics we cover in this episode, including empirical evidence for active investing, take a look at the Curious Investor page at aqr.com slash curious. You can also send us an email at Curious at AQR.com. Next week, we're going to look
0: at how randomness and conventional wisdom can fool us, both in sports and in investing. And we talk to one high school football coach who harnesses that knowledge to give him a huge edge over the competition.
2: They would rather lose traditionally than take a chance on getting it closer or winning untraditionally.
0: I'm Dan Villalan. And I'm Gabe Figali. Thanks for listening to The Curious Investor. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of AQR itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy.
1: The information in this recording is based on current market conditions, which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. AQR does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this
0: recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by, or on behalf of, AQR as to the accuracy and completeness
1: or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including any direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018 AQR Capital Management LLC. All rights
3: reserved. Guys, we, we've we've. Flown through. If you can find anything good in that, I want to take my hat off to you, uh, except I'm not oh, wearing I, one. I think that's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> There's amazing things in there. Thank you so much to both of you. I think you're going to have to scrape to get an hour out of that. Yeah. Well, why don't you go for a half an hour? We're gonna, yeah. Why don't you go for 20 minutes? <laughs> our, actually, our episode's The Hope is kind of 25 to 30 minutes. We'll
0: cut his stuff out yeah, yeah, and not exactly. mine, will you? <laughs>